Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Hey everyone, welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have on the call today, Tema Frank, who is the author of People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. And we're going to dig into this topic today, this idea of how we should treat our customers, how we should allow our customers maybe to influence our products or services, and how that all works together to actually generate more revenue and more lifetime value from the customers that you do have. So Tema, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Well, thank you for having me. So give the listener a little background on the book, People Shock. So give us the core kind of background on this, you know, this idea of of why customers should rule. Well, we have reached a point right now, Tom, where really customer experience, customer service, and, and the whole experience even before they become your customers it's the most effective way you can compete these days because with the internet, no matter how brilliant your idea, it's only going to be a matter of a pretty short time before somebody's copying it, somebody's doing it cheaper. So there has to be some way for you to compete against that. And if you can build stronger, better relationships with your customers through great customer experience, it's way harder for anybody to compete against you. So Explain or maybe define what great customer service is. I think that's a good place to go because it's, I'm sure for a lot of people, it's a little bit of a elusive or esoteric kind of definition. Like what makes great customer service? Okay, that is a great question. And in fact, I'll start by just differentiating between customer experience and customer service. Great. Customer experience is from the time somebody starts thinking they want a product or service like what you sell through to all the research steps, the various places where they might discover you through to using your website, connecting with you, purchasing, and even post-purchase, how's that experience and is it good enough that they want to recommend you? That total process is what I call customer experience. Customer service is a small component of that. That's once they are already in contact with you. But it is really, really crucial for people to realize that customer experience is a question of perceptions. And so you are starting to set those perceptions long before they've actually reached out to you in any way. In the book, I talk about what I call the three P's of profit, and they're all crucial into creating this sort of customer service and experience that people really are looking for. And those are promised people and process. And and I know this is a long way of answering your question about what is customer service, But customer service is something that combines all the elements well. So the customer gets what they want, how they want it, quickly, easily, and of high quality or of the quality they're paying for and expect. So the first thing is the promise, and and that does come to the expectations. The promise is essentially your brand. It is what's inspirational about what you're offering. How is it different from what everybody else is offering So you need to understand that and make that clear to customers before you move further. And the great thing about having a really strong promise is it does make it easier to communicate 
not just to customers, but even to your own staff, because you're not always going to be there when they have to make decisions. If the promise is clear, they've got a filter for making decisions. The second P is the people, and that includes both people inside and outside your organization. So inside, you, if you have staff, I, I know not everybody listening to this does, but many probably do, you're not going to have happy customers if your staff aren't happy. That's just the reality. You can force people to say thank you or have a nice day, but if their heart's not in it, that's going to be obvious to customers. So getting the employee side of things is right is really important. But also on the external side, there's not just your customers and prospective customers There's a whole range of other people with whom you and your organization have interactions, all of which can influence that customer service. So for instance, if you buy a product from somebody else and then resell it, or if you are partnering with another organization or doing affiliate sales, you have to count on them holding up to the same sorts of quality standards that you're promising, or else it reflects on you. So all those other types of relationships with humans are really important too. And then the third P is process. And this is where a lot of organizations run into problems, which is you start off really small and you're just scrambling and doing stuff and it gets done. But as you get bigger, you start needing processes. And as you get bigger still, or as time goes by, as your competition evolves, you need to revisit those processes to see, do they still make sense? And not just to us internally, but do they make sense to the customer? And really, you need to start with that customer view and then work backwards. So knowing what the customer wants, which you find out from research, then work back to how can we deliver that in the most effective, satisfactory way possible. So let's go back to the promise. So what is that? A a manifesto on your website? You know, a really invigorating commentary on your about page? What does that actually look like and how does that manifest? In an ideal world, it is a one simple sentence statement of what you're all about and why. So it is a manifesto. It's something that you want to inspire people. You can flesh it out with a set of values. But if you take, for instance, um, Google, which until recently had a very simple one, which was to make all the world's knowledge accessible to everybody. That is so clear that it really helped focus them for many, many years on, and still does, I think, to a large extent, on what it is that's their core underlying principle. How would you apply to somebody who's more or less, I guess, and I I know with this book and, and probably with a lot of the consulting and speaking you do, it's probably more towards the corporate world, but how about bringing this down to earth for like the small business? Like, you know, how does a small business apply this? And I'm sure a lot of it's similar but also like if you can give us some perspective on the small business, because I think another challenge for a lot of people is like they see it's like, oh yeah, I would love a brand like Google or Coca-Cola or something like that. But you know, it's it's implementation is a lot different for a small business. So I'm just curious what your perspective is on the promise when it comes to small businesses. Well, I'm really glad you asked that, Tom. And in fact, one of the things that I found a happy surprise when the book came out was that a lot of the people who were really treasuring it were small businesses Mm. because they got a lot of value out of it because the core principles are the same. And I give examples in there of both small and large businesses. So let me give you an example of a small business. This isn't a one-person business, but it was started by one person and it was a janitorial services company called Jancoa. And it was a fellow named Tony Miller ended up with this company falling into his lap because his father got ill and He was 19 years old, had to take over the business, basically cleaning office buildings. And 
They needed staff, of course, and they were finding that they had huge staff turnover rates and it was really hard to grow the company. And the reality is, as as co-owner Mary Miller said to me, nobody grows up wanting to be a janitor. So how do you create something inspirational about that? Well, eventually what they realized was that their staff typically lived in really awful conditions They were new immigrants often living in slums or really poor districts. They didn't have access to transportation, and yet they were expected to get to these jobs in the middle of the night on public transit, which wasn't reliable. So no wonder they were quitting as soon as they possibly could. What Mary and Tony decided they were going to make their mission was to help their staff have and achieve dreams because they realized that these people were just struggling to get by day to day. They didn't even have dreams. And so they started working one-on-one with individual employees saying, what would you love to be able to do someday? So sometimes it was buying a car. Sometimes it was buying a house in a better neighborhood so my kids will get better schooling. They would then work individually with that employee to help them get the skills, the savings, the whatever they needed to get that goal accomplished. And what they found is their staff became so inspired by the fact that the company really saw its mission as helping them that they actually lowered the turnover rate. The quality of work went way up because if you feel that your employer cares about you, you, of course, care about them and you want to do a good job. So there's an example of a really small company, but by looking at the individuals and their individual circumstances, they were able to come up with a really inspiring mission. So sometimes even if your business itself doesn't seem super inspiring, there are tangential things that you can do that will make it inspiring. So shifting focus to the people aspect of this, you've probably heard, uh, I think it was Ford, and I don't know if this is a real quote, but something along the lines of, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So let's just pretend that that's a real quote. He actually said it. And then of course we hear about Steve Jobs who basically like, fundamentally came out and said, like, I don't really uh, ask people what they think. I just, you know, build the things that I build and it's magical. So at what point would you go to people for feedback on this to figure out what they want versus kind of constructing the process or the flow or the onboarding sequence for kind of the people aspect of what you're describing? Well, I would still argue that even if people didn't know that they wanted a car or an iPhone, they did know that they had certain frustrations with the way things were currently done. And doing the research to discover those underlying frustrations is what will ultimately lead you to developing and selling something successfully. So they may not be able to tell you, especially if it's something brand new that the world has never seen, they're not going to be able to articulate that, but they will be able to say, this is so frustrating that I can't do X or that it takes me so long to do Y. So you want to start shaping whatever it is that you're developing to meet that need, whether it's doing something faster or better that already exists, whether it's taking a concept from a different industry and applying it to yours, or whether it's just something completely brand new. But you want to make sure that it is actually meeting the customer need. That's the question too, though. How do we define the customer need, especially just when just starting out? Like I think the the context and the question is different when we have like a customer base, let's say you're rolling out maybe a new product, a new service, or even if you're just kind of getting started, let's assume the small business owner, 
how do we know, I guess, what they need if we don't already have like a user base of customers? Like what, what would you recommend in terms of like that piece of it, how we can kind of develop that if we don't have access to a customer base right now? Oh, that's such a good question because I get so frustrated so often when you do see that they're only talking about asking your customers and what if you don't have any? There are a couple of things you can do. There are still ways that you can do research with people who are like those that you think you want to serve. And it can be just exploratory research, discovery calls, just talking to, let's say you want to serve people in uh, a particular industry, just call a bunch of them up and say, you know, tell me a bit about your business and and what are your frustrations? Now, I admit I'm giving this this advice, but I personally am very reluctant to make those types of calls. And so sometimes it also means just doing an inexpensive prototype of what it is that you want and testing it see if anyone bites. And if not, try pivoting a little bit. It's potentially a longer and more expensive way to do things. But if you're really not comfortable reaching out to a bunch of strangers and getting their opinions, it's at least a way that you can start developing something without going off on a huge tangent and without developing the whole thing only to discover nobody cares. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the idea of actually like interviewing prospects before building something is something I bring up a lot and highly recommend and pre-selling things if you can. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. So now let's move on to this process idea. Again, presumably with a company that's established, you know, working out the kinks of the process is a pretty, we'll say simple, if not easy task, but for the startup or for the company just kind of growing, maybe it doesn't have a large staff. How do they develop a process and kind of build it out in a way that will be effective when it comes to actually kind of creating those lifetime customers, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe them? Well, I would actually say that the reverse is true. I think it's a lot easier for the new company, for the young company, because what you should be doing when you're starting up a company is right off the bat, start documenting what exactly you're doing. What are the steps? What are the processes that you're using? And then look at, is this working? What isn't working? How should we tweak it? And keep updating your procedures manual, basically, so that you've got something comprehensive as you're building. And the great thing about that is it also means that you'll be in a position sooner than you would otherwise to have somebody else take over some of the work that you've been doing as the founder so you can spend more time on your business instead of in your business. So I think it's way easier. Just start. Just start documenting. It can be a simple word document. But documenting in detail, okay, customer calls from the website. What do we do? What are the steps? What are the follow-up steps? Just record it all as you go and evaluate what's working and what isn't. But I think that's, if I wasn't clear, that I feel like is the crux of it and the challenge. It's not so much that you start doing and you document it as you go, but that with a smaller user base, the feedback is, there's less feedback. And so less ability to make changes or tweaks based on that feedback, or at least the feedback is limited. So you are to some degree guessing. So I'm wondering how do we actually kind of, well, how do we approach the development of this process? Is it just like, well, we think this is going to be the way to go and then just start implementing it. And I guess for the small business who does not get a ton of feedback, there's not a lot of data points that are coming back. What's your, I guess, perspective or, or advice for that person or that, that company? Well, when I've spoken to startup companies and when I've interviewed startup founders, those who've been really successful right from the beginning, right from client number one, 
and especially when they only had a small number of clients, they took the time to actually make a personal phone call. They didn't just send out a survey saying, how would you rate your service? They actually either sent a personal email or made a personal phone call saying, you know, I'm really excited that you bought this. We're a pretty young company. We'd really value your feedback and we'd love to make you part of making this into something great. And most people will respond very well to that. You will find that you will, in fact, get a lot of very rich feedback from people that way. So the sample size may not be huge, but it'll help you shape what you're developing. And you'll end up developing it for, well, either you learn from your first batch of customers, there are some commonalities and this is how you should develop it. Or you may learn from that first batch of customers that, gee, you know, they're not actually the sort of people I thought I was going to be serving. And then you've got to make a decision about, do I want to continue doing it in this way? Or do I want to say, oh, actually, I'm to pivot. So I think you can get a ton of incredibly valuable data from those early customers. And you can turn them into allies. Because people, when they've bought from you, they want you to succeed. And they want to help with that. I like that. Yeah. And that's that's a good good point, I think. So customer conversations. So we talked about, I guess, when we were talking about the people aspect, like this idea of like, you know, talking to the prospect. When it comes to the process though, would you recommend talking to prospects or would you talk to actual customers, people who've actually already invested in what you're selling? And kind of where's that uh, delineation between like who we go for feedback on kind of what we're building and how we're kind of constructing the customer aspect or customer experience? Well, depending on where you are in the process and you may want to do one or both. I mean, if you don't have any customers yet, or you've only got two customers, it's still part of your basic customer research process to find out what are their frustrations with whatever product or service they're currently using to accomplish their goals. What are the things, even if it's in general, that drive them crazy with product or service delivery? So that's going to give you some ideas about what are the things you need to avoid as you develop your own processes. But absolutely getting the experience from those who have purchased from you is vital because they've already made the commitment. So you know there is a deeper level of commitment there and they are the sorts of people that you'll be attracting. What would you say from your experience is the the number one kind of mistake that you typically see when it comes to customer experience or customer service? The biggest mistake that I see is making assumptions about the users. You know, early in my career, I've fallen into this mistake too, where something is pretty obvious to me that this is an issue that needs solving and I go out and develop a product and then nobody cares or it's too early for the market. I mean, my my first serious business, Web Mystery Shoppers, was uh, an internet-focused business in the year 2000. And it was a little early for the market, sort of right product, wrong time. So I think not listening to what people are saying and what their actual needs are is the biggest mistake, making the assumption that you know. Mm. As far as small businesses are concerned, when it comes to kind of implementing this, I think it's a challenge of resources. So it's like how much time should be devoted to this versus, say, marketing and generating sales directly. And I understand the indirect relationship between this and ongoing sales. So I'm not critiquing that aspect of it. But honestly, I think for small business owners, a lot of it has to come down to you know where they put their time, what's the best use of their time. And so this is one of those things I see as being a long-term play and that's super important, but as a challenge then in the initial development of a business. So like, how do you prioritize this and how do you prioritize resources toward it? 
That's a tough one. That is a constant struggle. And, you know, I've been there and often am there always trying to accomplish more than I can. I would say, though, even just based on my own experiences, as well as those of people I've interviewed, is that I wish I had spent the time as I started documenting process, documenting what I was doing, even though at the time it feels like I don't have this time. I've just got to get this thing done and out the door. But then what happened is, you know, two weeks later, I need to do the same thing. And I've got to reread all the help manuals and reread all the instructions and try and figure it all out again. It's something that I wasn't doing often enough to memorize it, but I was doing it often enough that it became a huge time sink. So anything that could well become something you do more than once is worth spending the time up front to document. Mm. Yeah, I like that. So any other pieces of recommendation? Because I, you know, I've, I've asked some of the questions that I think are most applicable, but you having had morning conversations on this topic, there's going to be something, you know, I, the unknown unknown, the thing I'm not asking that you think is important. Anything that kind of stands out to you is like, here's an important point we didn't quite highlight, but that will be important for, you know, the business owner to consider. I think one of the biggest things to consider is that we have a tendency to think that we're doing a better job at customer service than customers think we are. There was some research that was done a few years ago that found that 80% of businesses think that they deliver great customer service. Only 8% of customers agree. And I see this a lot with small businesses where, especially if sales have been doing okay, there is this assumption that I'm doing things right and that I don't need to change. And that is an increasingly dangerous assumption because the world around you is changing and it's changing really, really quickly. So if you're not keeping up and if you're not keeping in contact, real contact with your customers, then it's really easy for you to become irrelevant almost overnight. I mean, look at what happened to taxis with Uber. This begs the question though, too, especially small businesses, I think, especially important. You know, it's typical that you're mostly going to hear from the customers who are discontent. And so you can you can weigh those data points to some degree. But beyond that, and again, I think you say you implement like the customer calls, and that's obviously probably the solution to some part of this. But I guess if you're not getting a ton of feedback or it's not necessarily negative, there's just like maybe you know more silence than anything else. My question is, when do we know we're doing something wrong? Well, I mean, you know you're doing something wrong. There's sort of the obvious stuff like sales are not increasing or they're actually decreasing. Mm -hmm. That's giving you a pretty broad hint. But there are also other things that can signal that there are potentially problems coming. So, I mean, I'm assuming that a lot of the businesses that you're talking about have a small number of customers, at least initially. So even if it is just one squeaky wheel, you have to assume that others, some others at least, are having that problem. I mean, with any repair, you've got to weigh the costs and benefits. And with a startup, you can't know for sure, is this something I absolutely have to change? But I would go on the base assumption when you're starting out that if one person's complained about it, it probably is a significant problem. Yeah, I think it's good advice. Well, Tema, I appreciate the call today. Where can people reach out to find you? Where can they get a copy of this book? And of course, point them in the right direction to, to connect with you online. That's great. I've really enjoyed this. You, you ask really good questions, Tom. People can find me and more information about what I do at frankreactions.com. 
And you can also get some more information about the book there. But if you just want to go buy the book, it is at Amazon. So People Shock, The Path to Profits When Customers Rule. I also have a biweekly podcast on customer experience. And you can find that on iTunes or on my website or on most podcast listers. And that's simply called the Frank Reactions Podcast on Customer Experience. Pretty obvious title. And of course, I am available by email, T-E-M as in marketing, A, at frankreactions.com or on Twitter or LinkedIn or any of the usual places. I love it. Well, Tema, thank you so much for being in the trenches with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.